Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has a chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them. And today is, uh, not only is it a repeat of last week, but technically it is a repeat of Thursday because we were almost finished recording the episode and then my whole computer just decided, no, no podcast for you. Fuck you, Tanner. <laughs> But we got the technical issue sorted out, so... At least we're pretty sure we did. So we're giving it another yeah. shot. We're giving it the old college try. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, so, today, we are looking at, as I mentioned, something related to last week's topic. Lindsay, well, I guess you know, because we already did the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, so today we're looking at a reboot sequel of The Sorcerer's Apprentice... Not the Mickey Mouse cartoon, but the 2010 live-action movie starring Nicolas Cage and Jay Baruchel. Cool. Now, Lindsay, last time we were here, I attempted to explain the plot of the movie to you, and I think you understood about 70%, because I was just spouting words with no relation to concepts. It was okay. <laughs> you're, you're very sweet. And a great liar. <laughs> For those who have not seen this wonderful, wonderful movie that only exists pretty much because Nicolas Cage really wanted to be a wizard, and then someone's like, what if we adapted a Disney Fantasia short? And Nicolas Cage was like, yes, I'm Nicolas Cage, and I would love to be Mickey Mouse. He's not Mickey Mouse. <laughs> he's, not, he's the sorcerer. He's not the apprentice. Nicolas Cage is Yen Sid, except they don't use the name Yen Sid. They should have used the name Yen Sid at some point. Uh, would you would you look at Nicolas Cage and say that's the end, Sid? Though, give him about ten years. Hmm. <laughs> I think he might become a wizard at some point if he isn't already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you don't know the plot of this movie, it begins in Arthurian England, where Merlin has three apprentices named Balthazar, Veronica, and Horvath. Uh, and Balthazar's Nicolas Cage. Veronica is played by Monica Bellucci for the five minutes she's on screen, and Horvath is played by Alfred Molina in one of his greatest roles, second only to Dr. Octopus. <laughs> those are the only two good roles. I'm sure he's a very ex long-experienced dramatic stage actor, but those are the only two roles I care about. <laughs> Horvath betrays everyone because he was sad that Veronica didn't return his affections, and he's like, well, then I'm just going to become an incel. And so he teams up with Morgana Le Fay, and there's a big fight. Eventually, Veronica traps Morgana inside her own body, and then Balthazar traps their combined form inside the Grimhold, which is like a Russian nesting doll. And then he proceeds to trap a whole bunch of Morgana's other apprentices, called the Morganians, because it's the Morganians are the bad sorcerers, and the Merlinians are the good sorcerers. And Balthazar is like the last Merlinian. He keeps on trapping Morganians inside the Grimhold until eventually he's able to trap Horvath. And so it's just, yeah. he, now he runs a magic shop in Manhattan and like stuffed in the corner is just a giant Russian, Rust, a giant Russian nesting doll <laughs> with the image <laughs> of Alfred Molina in a bowler hat on it. <laughs> and so one day in Manhattan, as Balthazar is seeking the prime Merlinian, the once in a generation chosen one who shall be the most powerful sorcerer once they complete their training. And he finds it in the form of this little 10-year-old kid named Dave. And while he, like, searches for, like, a book of spells to give to Dave, Dave accidentally releases Horvath. 
a whole bunch of wizardly antics happen, and Dave is traumatized, and then he, like, runs out of the shop, and then his class finds him, and they think he pissed his pants because, like, some water spilled on him. So then, no. oh, he's, like, a social outcast. Uh, and then while all that was happening, Balthazar and Horvath got in a fight, and they got themselves trapped in a jar. Because you'll find, in this film, there's a lot of trapping people inside other things. It's like Power Rangers. Just stick it into a canister and launch it at the moon. <laughs> this bitch evil. Yeet! <laughs> <laughs> you... <laughs> And so then ten years later, the, the spell on the jar wears off, and Horvath and Balthazar come back out, and Balthazar immediately finds Dave, who has grown up into Jay Baruchel, and says, It's time for you to complete your training! And Jay's like, Please, I just wanted to learn about physics! I don't want to be a wizard! But then he <laughs> learns the, the, sort, the wizardly powers! The wizardly actions! <laughs> and so the Horvath is like, Fine, then I'll find my own apprentice. And he finds a guy named, Oh gosh, what was this person's name? something Drake, Drake Stone, who's basically Chris Angel, young punk, except he uses real magic, and so he becomes Horvath's apprentice, and then Horvath also unleashes, like, mini-bosses by taking people out of the Grimhold, because he has to get to the center of it in order to unleash uh, Morgana Le Fay. Cool. Uh, many wizard things happen. Jay does end up doing a Fantasia and getting his lab almost flooded by sentient broom clones. Of course he does. Um, there's a fight between an eagle detached from the Empire State Building and the bull statue on Wall Street, I want to say. It's on Wall Street? Yeah. Yeah. So those two get into a fight. Um, and then at the end, Jay uses the power of physics and magic combined in order to disintegrate Morgana Le Fay. And Balthazar is reunited with Veronica and Jay, not Jay, Dave gets to be with his love interest, Becky, who... <laughs> It is more than just a damsel, but she's still mostly just a damsel. She's mostly just there to be the love interest who then gets kidnapped in the third act, but she she has potential. Yeah. And so that that's where the film ends. Everyone flies into the sunset. It's great. There's a stinger where Horvath shows up and he like takes his hat back from wherever he left it, and then that's the end of that. So today we are creating The Sorcerer's Apprentice 2, and we are both refitting an idea they had for the original movie in order to make this, and we are going to be adapting another Fantasia segment, because I'm going to be basing this off of Night on Bald Mountain. Ooh. So, shift gears just slightly, so I can explain Night on Bald Mountain to the audience. Yeah. Because <laughs> y'all, surely, hopefully, y'all know the Fantasia sequence, where the song plays as a big old demon dude named Chernabog, Shows up on a mountain, all the demons have a rave around him, and then he gets chased off by people singing Ave Maria. Pretty straightforward. Good way to end uh, Fantasia. Yeah. Um, there was some back and forth debate on whether, like, Chernabog, before he was officially dubbed Chernabog, some people were like, oh, that's the literal Christian devil. And then, like, someone at Disney was like, no, 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 it's not the devil, it's just Chernabog, he's an old Slavic dude, and he, it's fine. It's not satanic, it's just Slavic. <laughs> uh, but also, like, so, the two things on that. First off, Chernabog is kind of, like, a an evil, not necessarily evil, but he's a god of bad fortune in the old Slavic pantheon, and we don't have a lot of information on him, so I don't know for sure if he was, like, traditionally worshipped and, like, his bad fortune was just one part of a whole slew of other things, and he was never, I don't know if they considered him a villain in the pantheon or not, because usually pantheons don't have villains. Like, Hades, 
pretty chill dude. He didn't get villainized until Christianity showed up and said, nope, he's the underworld man, so he must be just another image of the devil. Yeah, didn't help that the word for underworld was also his name. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Same same deal with Hela, although Hela had other stuff going on with her. When you're the daughter of Loki, you're gonna be a little, not evil, but just, uh... Morally compromised. <laughs> yeah. She a little half and half in, in more than one sense of the word. Yeah. I but, mean, I liked Hela in Thor Ragnarok, but oh, mythological Hela is fucking awesome, too. Oh, yes. Um, but yeah, but Trinobog may have actually been just, like, a bad dude. Like, he may have been the Slavic equivalent of Set, who, because Set was never worshipped. Set was the official, unofficial villain of the Egyptian pantheon. Well, Set was worshipped in the early part. It was really um, after the Hyksos were in charge of Egypt for a while that he got really villainized by the Egyptians because the Hyksos associated their top god, who was a war god, with Set. Okay. Yeah. And then they're like, ew, you got tainted by outsiders. Ew. I want this aardvark obliterated. <laughs> Maybe aardvark. A, a dog a dog with the face of an aardvark. <laughs> could be a giraffe. Could be a donkey. We don't know. Oh, I didn't hear the giraffe theory. Yeah, there's a giraffe theory. But the I thought you were big... about to say nobody really knows what a giraffe is. No, the the big hole in that one is that the Egyptians actually knew what a giraffe looked like and yeah. depicted giraffes in their art. It was just a taper that got extremely lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be an animal that went extinct before we ever really started studying the Egyptians in the modern era. It was a ground sloth. <laughs> Anyway. We're not here to talk about the Egyptians. <laughs> no, that's for maybe a Percy Jackson episode. <laughs> we actually, you know, we might circle back to the Egyptians, but for now, let me tell you about Russian folklore. Because that's the other yeah. thing, is that Night on Bald Mountain is actually based off of Russian folklore, like inspired by ideas from it. So yeah. saying that the, the big demon dude in Night on Bald Mountain Fantasia is actually Chernobog, that tracks extremely well. Yeah. So... Night on Bald Mountain is a series of compositions uh, that were completed on the 23rd of June, 1867 by Modest Mussorgsky, Mo <laughs> uh, and they concern, the Wikipedia page says a witch's Sabbath. I don't really want to use the term Sabbath because you're going to get con con connotations with like uh, like Hebrew terminology and Judaism and blah, blah, blah. We're, we're not, we don't fucks with that. So it's just a witches, some witchers were having a gathering. They're having their book club on uh, St. John's Eve. And that's what inspired Mussorgsky to write the piece. Yeah, and, and the importance of, uh, just a quick side note, the importance of St. John's Eve is that it usually coincides with the summer solstice. Okay. Yeah. Good, good to know. Yeah. Hey, hey, everyone, here's my own sidebar. Get yourself a history ringer friend like Lindsay. <laughs> So that when you do start rambling about this stuff, she can back you up and you don't sound like an utter buffoon. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Anyway, Mussorgsky was really proud of what he did with the piece, but no one ever wanted to perform it. His mentor, Mily Balakiriev, didn't want to perform it, and so Mussorgsky had to try and salvage it and like 
put it into like other operas. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the one I'm going to be drawing inspiration from specifically tonight is called Melada, an op- a collaborative opera ballet from 1872. So I don't know the whole plot of this, but the plot that concerns the Night on Bowed Mountainy bits. It has a girl named Voislava, and in her father have poisoned a woman named Mlada, who is betrothed to Prince Yaromir. Voislava has sold her soul to an evil goddess Morena in order to get her aid in making Yaromir forget Mlada and get with her instead. Now, in the third act, Mlada's ghost shows up and she, like, leads Yaromir up the slips of Mount Triglav to a wood where she joins a gathering of the spirits of the dead and expresses that she wants to be reunited with him in death. And so basically, don't don't marry anyone else. Just stay single until you're dead and then we can be ghost married or something like that. Uh, but then a whole bunch of fantastic and evil spirits show up and have a rave around them instead. Um, during this, Morena calls on Chernobog himself and they team up to try and get somebody... Anybody to seduce Yaromir in order for him to fall under their spell. So then there's like a hallucination of Queen Cleopatra. She does a sexy dance in front of him and he almost falls for it. But then he wakes up and is like, what a strange and fantastic dream. (laughs) Now, I wasn't sure at first if Morena was actually real or just invented for the play. But Lindsay, can you please give me the rundown in in the way you did last time we tried this? I will try my best. Um... (laughs) So, Marina is the goddess of cold, frost, winter, and death. And um, she has. She's kind of important for uh, various Slavic rituals throughout the year because uh, basically, this is. We're recording over Easter. This is a big spring holiday. It always has been because we can start planting stuff now in the Northern Hemisphere. And she has a very important festival. A little bit before spring actually starts, though it could also happen on um, the on the vernal equinox, called the drowning of Marzana, uh, as she's uh, she's called Marzana in Poland. Um, basically, you take an effigy of her, you throw her into a body of water, and then winter is gone. She is also etymologically linked to the word for nightmare, like she's a legit nasty goddess. <laughs> also, I found. <laughs> I found her page on Wikipedia, and I love this image as, like that's attached to the drowning of Marzana because it's just these two little dolls just floating face up in a river while some people yeah. watch, and you you can tell like someone's just like recording this with their phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and here we have the drowning of the dolls. Let's get this for the Instagram. So yeah. Anyway, uh, Marzana's. Mazrana or Morena, uh, her name is linked to a very old Indo-European root word or Proto-Indo-European root word mar or mor, which is used to signify death. And it's traditionally associated with, it's generally given a female gender in a lot of languages, um, though it's sometimes given a male gender. So it's, there's been connections to a far more ancient goddess called a Marmorena from uh, Slovakia, um, maybe a connection to Mars and his various names and other things associated with him, like uh, Mamor, Memers, and Mamurius Viturius. Hang on, did you say Memers? Mamers. Okay, I heard Memers. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then there's also um, in Latin the word for death is mors. Uh, in Russian, uh, the word more means pestilence. Um, and some people have connected it to mare, which is an evil spirit in Germanic and Slavic folklore who are associated with nightmares and sleep paralysis. Huh. Yeah. I will say this again. Sleep paralysis is one of the things I am glad I have never had. I have ner- I have heard no good stories from people who have had it. Yeah. So, what I'm envisioning for uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice 2, uh, I, don't, I don't know what it, if I would have a Electric subtitle. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Sorcerer's Apprentice 2, <laughs> Tesla Coil Boogaloo. Because that's the thing. <laughs> They Dave, like their Tesla coils, apparently. Dave grabs some Tesla coils and, like, channels his sorcery through them in order to vaporize Morgana Le Fay. I mean, Tesla coils are cool. I'm, And Tesla did once try to develop a death ray. That's true. Also, also, hey, speaking of Tesla and lasers, <laughs> our friend Serge <laughs> just uploaded a video about their prestige. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I've got Tesla on the brain. Was Tesla a sorcerer? Probably. <laughs> Let's be fair. <laughs> or, I mean, the alternative, the alternative because of when he lived is that he did a lot of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. But but then then I realized, you know what? It's just as likely both are true. Yeah. I mean, Aleister Crowley also did cocaine. He Everyone actually quite did. liked it. It's easier to list the people who didn't do cocaine in the 1800s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's easier to list people who didn't do cocaine in the 80s. <laughs> well, in the 1800s, cocaine was in all the medicine. Or if it wasn't cocaine, it was fucking heroin. <laughs> there's, there's a Tumblr post that I saw recently, and it was a picture of like all the Coca-Cola bottles through the ages. And like the early one just basically looks like a potion in a fantasy game. And yeah. someone's like, damn, I wish they didn't get rid of the first bottle because that, <laughs> if I drank that, I bet it would make, <sighs> I wish they didn't get rid of that first bottle because that it looks like if I drank that, I'd be able to shoot crows out of my hands. And someone <laughs> replied, that's probably almost entirely cocaine. And the, the first person replies, ah, so it would also make me feel like I could shoot crows out of my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently Coca-Cola... Um, when they were told to get, to take out the cocaine from their drink, uh, they actually had to maintain a small amount in it to maintain both their copyright and also, like, burn off their coca stores <laughs> until, like, 1911. <laughs> <laughs> Government-mandated coke. <laughs> I mean, it's gonna rot otherwise if you don't use it. It's true. It's Splenda. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways, God, who who are we talking about? Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, I don't think he does do cocaine. I'm pretty sure that's all he natural. He doesn't need to. Exactly. Nicolas Cage, when he's not being Ghost Rider. He's playing Balthazar Blake. So, he, the, how the plot of my Sorcerer's Apprentice movie, everyone's, everyone's chilling and happy. Dave is still with Becky. Because, like I said, there's there's just enough substance to her beyond being a love interest damsel that I actually want to keep her around. I don't want to, like, replace her with a Bond girl, essentially. Yeah. Um, which we already have one of those in here, Monica Bellucci. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's living with Becky. 
they probably have a kid, like a feisty eight-year-old or something. Yeah. And he's, he's, it's not like Dave is like running around using sorcery for everything. Like he still practices it a bit, but he's still more interested in science and stuff. Heck, he might even be a university professor. Yeah. Um, and then in, in the meanwhile, Balthazar and Veronica, they've pretty much retired and they're living in just a nice pastoral cabin in the Alpen, the, the Alpens. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to say mountains and I specified the Alps to turn into the Alpens. <laughs> <laughs> you tried. It's nice. It's there's grassy fields, and they can do magic every which way that they want to do, and just be there and be in love. It's beautiful. It's beautiful happiness together. Yay! And then Horvath shows up, and he steals their magic. Now, here's the thing: is that a lot of the stuff that happened in the first movie was Horvath getting a hold of people's magic rings and using that to unlock more levels of the Grimhold. Because that's another part of the universe, is that every sorcerer needs a focus of some kind, whether it be a pendant or a ring or something, in order to like channel their abilities. If someone takes that away from you, you can't do magic. The reason the Primer Lanian, the reason Dave is super special, is because he is able to do magic without a focus. It's just like the raw power within him. Cool. So Horvath shows up, he takes the focuses of Veronica and of Balthazar, and, but this is the only time this magic theft happens, because he just needs them for one little ritual. He's going to bring back Morena. So one of the ideas I had was like after I learned about the whole deal with her being drowned and stuff, I was thinking, what if they do the ritual to drown her and get rid of the winter? And then the Christian missionaries come in, say, stop worshiping your Slavic deities. That guy Chernobog, he's the devil now. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Everyone else is banished. Maybe we'll associate one or two of your deities with angels and say that they were just different names they had but you're christian now we've decided a lot of their gods got turned into saints yeah there was a big syncretized uh thing going on amongst the peasants in russia that got i think it kind of got stamped out by the the 1600s but even then that's kind of a because russia's big and you could just like never interact with the authorities for a long time exactly if there are still living dinosaurs, they're probably in Russia. Yeah. Uh, now I'm just picturing a T-Rex with a Nushanka. Oh. Yes, comrade. Yes, I want to eat the little, <laughs> the little chickens. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, comrade dinosaur. <laughs> there has to be at least one Soviet biologist who tried to bring back fucking dinosaurs. <laughs> How how different would Jurassic Park have been? <laughs> What's his name as a socialist? <laughs> Maybe there would have been better treatment of the of the staff. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, so so my idea was that Morena gets drowned in the ritual, and then the, the Christian syncretization happens in the village, and that's enough of a reverse clap your hands if you believe situation in order for her to basically get stuck in limbo because at no point does any kind of ritual get done to bring her back but then Horvath shows up he's got two magic rings he goes pow 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 uses the magic power brings back Morena she shows up uh for for just pun reasons I want her to be played by Morena Baccarin because Morena's playing Morena yeah Uh, and then their plan is okay okay so now I'm drawing for American Gods 
because one of the th other things that happens with Chernobog in some variations of the Slavic mythology interpretation is that there's a cycle, kind of similar to like Demeter leaving and entering the underworld cycle. There's a cycle of Chernobog and his brother Bielobog, where they are the same actual like figure. And it's just sometimes they're Chernobog, sometimes they're Bielobog. Yeah. In American Gods, there's a whole little subplot because one of the main gods is Chernobog. And he makes a deal with the main character, Shadow, that like, uh, if we if we fail our mission, I get to kill you. And then the Shadow like, wins a bet and is like, okay, so then at the end of this, you get to try and kill me. <laughs> and then over the course of the thing, and they go through their adventures, and then at the end, Chernobog like, shows up with his big hammer. It's like, okay, Shadow, time for me to try and kill you. And Shadow's like, okay, with your best shot. And then Chernobog walks up with his hammer and just takes it to his forehead and goes, because he's he's flipped and now he's Bielobog. And so he's not he's not gonna kill Shadow because he's a nice dude now. Okay. So my idea is that, or at least like one part of my idea, the plan that Horvath and Morena are planning is that they're going to use some kind of ancient artifact or something. They're gonna go on a MacGuffin hunt for the dismantled MacGuffin, and if they bring it back together, they can use it to stop the cycle of Chernobog and Bielobog, and they can trap Chernobog in the Chernobog form, and then only dark magic can be used. If if Bielobog is the source of all light magic and Chernobog is the source of all dark, then it's only the Morganians that can use their magic now, and then they can use it to take over the world, because that's what they always do. Everyone will be an incel under my power. Great. <laughs> so... The other major thing going on here is inspired by the fact that, as we mentioned, or, well, as I mentioned, the, the Night on Bald Mountain was inspired by a witch's gathering. Yeah. And I wanted to bring witchcraft into this as, like, a separate thing from sorcery. Because I, I prefer a more, okay, I guess not really traditional. It's, it's, like, one half traditional, one half modern, in the sense that I prefer witches to be, like, cool, chill gals. Okay. <laughs> they're, not, they're not immediately worshipping the devil. Yeah, that was um, honestly a late Western European look. The <sighs> Reformation was rough for everybody. Yeah. I should know. My ancestors were cheering on Martin Luther. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I prefer witches in the form of like, a classical hedge witch or like the the cut wife from Penny Dreadful. Yeah. Where they're more about uh, this is another thing you brought up in the original attempt at the recording how the a lot of what we would consider witches they were also the doctors and the herbalists and the apothecaries and psychiatrists. <laughs> Your detective if something went missing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask the trees. <laughs> what the trees going to do? And then like your missing ring just flies out of the woods. Well, they did something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when the magical mechanics of the Sorcerer's Apprentice movie, I was thinking that witches are much more of a natural branch of magic as opposed to sorcerers. And I was thinking there's, first off, obviously there's going to be like a gripe between witchcraft and sorcery. Yeah. And not in the sense of like, oh, Balthazar is going to like go on a witch hunt like a maniac. No. But it's more of a professional rivalry. It's more like D&D &D and how there's a difference between wizards, warlocks, and sorcerers. Yeah. And they don't get along. <laughs> <laughs> mm 
Oh, I can't. You use rings to perform magic? I can't believe it. That's disgusting. Why can't you just cast spells using the inherent power of Mother Earth? <laughs> <gasps> Fuck you. Nature's a whore. <laughs> <laughs> and rinse and repeat. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's like. I'm playing a wizard. She went to school for this. She's in massive amounts of debt. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's some uh some sorcerer who's got like the dragon daddy. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see in, in Sorcerer's Apprentice, I guess the sorcerers there would be equivalent to the wizards in D D. <laughs> and Balthazar, he's like he's not a bigot. Balthazar Blake is not a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> but what he is is a, a grad student who can't believe that he's forced to work at the same job in the same position as what's essentially an Instagram influencer. <laughs> no, let's be fair. It's more like someone who went to um, a technical college. Yeah. Or they, oh no, it's, it's someone who like, they learned it all off of a Wikipedia but they yeah. were able to practice it enough that their skills are on par with the other person. Yeah. But yeah. So my idea for for the witch stuff is that first off, a witch is going to join the group of Dave, Becky, Veronica, and Balthazar. That's the other thing is that Veronica and Becky are going to get actual characterization in this. Yeah. Poor, poor Veronica only exists for five minutes to be literally just a love interest and a box. Yeah. And Monica... Bellucci, you don't waste that talent. Yeah, so we're not wasting it this time. So Monica Bellucci and Nick Cage, they're going to be lovingly, happily married and whatnot. Uh, and then there'll be a, like a little subplot about how like Veronica, the actual character, before she started training under Merlin, she also got training as a witch. So while Balthazar is almost completely powerless and has to rely on Dave to do the sorcery, Veronica can also pull out a little bit of witchcraft. Yeah. And when we broke down the five-man band configuration the first time, if Dave is the hero and Balthazar is the smart guy, and mm -hmm. then another character is the Lancer, I wanted Becky to be the heart, and then the big guy can be Veronica. So it's not like she can cast elaborate spells and like trap people inside a mirror, but she can definitely summon a tree out of nowhere and then throw it at you. Yeah. <laughs> And the other factor was that a witch would join this five-man band, like a, a new character. Like the the squad will have to go and find like where the first piece of the MacGuffin is located in order to stop Horvath and Morena, and they're gonna fail. But while they're there, they're gonna like make an acquaintance with a witch who's part of that local coven, and she's gonna decide to tag along. Uh, and it was around when we were trying to figure out who to cast for her <laughs> that everything crashed. Yeah. So, but after that, I was thinking. Because you were suggesting some people off of Sense8, and I wasn't sure about them because none of them felt witchy enough. Okay. But you were on the right track, because I wanted someone who was a little bit crunchy granola or can play that kind of character, and I wanted a character of color, because yeah. almost every single person in Sorcerer's Apprentice 1 is white. The only exception is an evil sorcerer named Sunlock, who is not even... I had to check on IMDb to make sure he wasn't just a CGI construction, and he's not. He's actually played by a human. But he doesn't have a crediting page on Wikipedia, and he doesn't even have a section on the TV show's page. Oh, wow. So that's concerning. 
So please, can we at least get a, a named, speaking, credited in the credits actor? And, uh, okay, what was her name now? Freema Aguiman. Oh, yeah. Because she she's crunchy granola as hell. Yeah. Or at least, okay, I don't know if she is the person. But when she played uh, Amanita in Sense8, she definitely had that vibe of like a bo- bohemian counterculture type of stuff. The other thing about Freema Agamemnon's character, Amanita, in Sense8 is that she is dating Nomi, who's trans. And now we all know that legally all trans people are witches. And so if mm-hmm. you're dating one, that's a pretty good indicator that you are as well. Now I have in my mind Nomi as a techno witch. That Because Nomi was like a little bit of a hacker. Yeah. Oh no, she was a lot of a hacker. Yeah, she was a hacktivist. Yeah, she was, yeah. Yeah. Hang on, I have to make a note for a Sensate Witch AU. <laughs> oh yeah, did, uh, do you know Alex, Alice, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, I'm going to attempt. Alice Krieg was in the first Source Apprentice. She of the Borg Queen fame. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Ian McShane was in this too. Huh. You know, he, he's credited as the narrator. I would like to think that he would play Merlin if Merlin ever showed up. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So we've got we've got our main five group. Also, the kid is here. Because I did realize that this also has a little bit mummy's return a little bit of a mummy returns vibe. Yeah. Cause you can if you want to graft Horvath onto Imhotep and Morena onto Anaxunamun, and then I guess <laughs> Chernobog would be the Scorpion King. You know, okay, so because Jay Baruchel's in this, I initially wanted to make Chernobog played by Seth Rogen. <laughs> but now I'm thinking, what if it was Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Chernobog <laughs> slash Bielabog? I mean, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is buff enough to play Disney's Chernobog, so yeah. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is all your Disney deity needs. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he'll probably follow this up in a live-action Hercules as Zeus. Yes. Or, I see it. No, no, no. Okay, okay. What if if they make a live-action Hercules, what if the Dwayne The Rock Johnson played Phil? <laughs> would they keep him a satyr or would they make him into a minotaur? No, no, he'd he'd still be a little, a little fawn. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm not saying it would look look good. It's going to be some horrifying CGI Dwayne the Rock Johnson attached to <laughs> the little Philoctini's body. Oh, God. Every time I see Disney live action, I a shudder runs down my, my spine. I read somewhere that there's some plan to make a half and half CGI, that weird live action shit with the Robin Hood movie. Oh, see... Listen, I skipped out on Lion King because it looked mediocre, especially compared to Jungle Book, because Jungle Book slaps. But I might have to go see the live-action Robin Hood just to see how bad it is. And that, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if that movie makes a billion dollars. I want to see it. I want to do a compare and contrast with Cats. Oh, they're probably going to do the Cats thing. I'm going to write some crossover fan fiction where Robin Hood dates Mr. Mistopheles. Oh. Why, Tanner, do you do this to me? (laughs) I've killed Lindsay. (laughs) Never mind, she is risen. (laughs) 
because it it takes a lot more to kill me than just cats, but oh boy, that <laughs> Well stay tuned for our next episode. No, just kidding. I can't reboot cats, it's the perfect film. <laughs> perfect disaster. I hope Tom Hooper never touches another musical ever again. Anyway. Anyway, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, I feel like I've covered the main beats. I need, a, I need to talk about how great the cast is in the original. This fucking Alfred Molina. I said his, his best role except maybe Doc Ock. Like, he certainly doesn't have any pathos. The, the only time he attempts to get sympathy is like, Veronica chose you over me, Balthazar, and that's why I'm evil! Like, it's like, come on, bro. You have the same motivation as Master Warg from Power Rangers Wild Force. You're not special. Yeah. But he is special, because he is very dignified and stoic and an utter bastard. Alfred Molina is having a wonderful time playing the coldest of hams. Yes. The deadest of pans. <laughs> Meanwhile, Nicolas Cage is playing Nicolas Cage if Nicolas Cage was a wizard. Yeah. There will be no scenery left. <laughs> you, you know, he's actually fairly subdued. Okay. It's more, it's more in the gravitas he brings. He's not chewing the scenery, but he is going to try and blow it over with his sheer presence. So a bit more like his character in Lord of War? Okay, maybe a midway between that... I, th I think the level of ham we want to go for, or that he went for, if you want to compare and contrast, would be Ghost Rider. Okay. If we, since we were talking about it earlier. Because Ghost Rider, he wasn't, like, losing his mind like he did yeah. in, like, um, I don't know. What's Face Off? Name? Yeah. Here's the thing. In Face Off, most of the wackadoo stuff was technically John Travolta. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, that, that kind of flavor. He's not there in Sorcerer's Apprentice. But, like, in Ghost Rider, he has intensity. He has the fire within him. Maybe that's why people considered him for being a good Superman one time. I still can't see him as Superman. Yeah, no, his him, face is wrong. But I could see him being in a Superman thing. I could yeah. see him as, what, what was his dad's name? Jor-El? Uh, yeah, Jor-El. Yeah, I could see him as Jor-El. I could see him as Zod. I could see him as Lex Luthor. I could see him as Brainiac. Yep. I could see him as Metallo. I could see him as Mr. Mixie Splitlick. <laughs> Hey, you got it in one go. <laughs> you wanna, if you want to expand past the DC, I could see him as Gorilla Grodd. Um, who else? Who else is available? I could see him as Captain Cold. Yeah. Just in the next Batman movie, all the villains should be played by Nicolas Cage. But anyways, <laughs> he's 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 so good, and he he tells there's a scene where like Dave is trying to figure out if magic is science or like the connection between the two because Dave is a physics student. And Balthazar is like, well, it's it's like the physics. You have particles and they accelerate. And as they accelerate, they heat up. So you think uh, like of the particles and the power within you. And you picture the particles you're trying to focus on. You focus on them. You picture them accelerating. And you use your focus. And foie fire! <laughs> it's a little bit like... Um, if you're trying to condense the alchemy from Full Metal Alchemist down to a single movie. I feel like Full Metal Alchemist had more set hard set rules on the alchemy than the source's apprentice does like <laughs> they had 27 volumes amoro arakawa had almost 30 volumes to work with to set down her rules yeah no it's definitely there's definitely no alchemy going on here there's no there is definitely matter being created and destroyed at any given moment <laughs> yeah but 
it, it was basically just to foreshadow the combination of science and magic that Dave pulls off at the end. They don't yeah, go and- very in depth on it. Ooh, maybe Dave is working on a thesis about quantum physics or uh, quantum mechanics or something, which is the really weird side of physics because yeah. it deals with the infinite, with the infinitely small. And when you get to, down to that small, the rules basically don't exist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's like that's what I want from Dave. Like, obviously, this isn't going to turn into like a term paper movie, but yeah. I want that to be where Dave's at is that he's using. He's not using sorcery to necessarily better his life, and he's not using it to, like, go across the world and, like, smack mythical creatures in the face with a force punch or anything. He's he's fascinated by sorcery because he gets to study it. He gets to yeah. see just what he can do, and he tests the limits not to see how powerful he can get, but to see what sorcery is capable of. Yeah. And he would get along really well, I think, with the witch character, because if sorcery is physics, then witchcraft would be, like, biochemistry. Because yeah. it pulls from like the natural world and plants and animals and weather and stuff. If we wanted to class that into D and D, it would probably be both. Uh, hang on, let's. If source, if Sorcerer's Apprentice sorcery is D and D wizardry, then Sorcerer's Apprentice witchcraft would be a combination of their sorcery and their druid class. Yeah, because of all the nature stuff. I would like to picture that in the finale, Dave draws on science and sorcery and witchcraft in order to, like, drown Morena once again, kick Horvath off of Bald Mountain, which is, it, Bald, there is not Bald Mountain, a Bald Mountain is a kind of mountain. Yeah. But they'll say, oh, the Bald Mountain they're talking about is Mount Triglav, which, as far as I can tell, is a real mountain, and if not, it is now, for the purposes of the film. Uh... How about we look that up? Then you're right. We have a whole computer we can Google. It is a real mountain located Huzzah. in Slovenia and is the highest peak in the Julian Alps. Uh, the mountain is the preeminent sim- symbol of the Slovene nation and it is the centerpiece of the Triglav National Park, uh, Slovenia's only national park. It's the highest peak in Yugoslavia before Slovenia's independence in 1991. Nice. Yes. Though I'm surprised that they schlepped all the way there from the opera of Mlada because apparently Yuromir is the Prince of Arcona, which is this uh, peninsula off the coast of northeastern Germany in the Baltic Sea. It was a really long road trip. (laughs) But then again, Europe is much smaller than, you know, our beautiful nation of Canada. Oh, that's the other thing I remembered. So for Becky... The way I want to expand on her character, she's going to be, like, the researcher. Yeah. Where, because I I can't remember what her college major was in the first movie. But, at like, when she comes back for this, I want her to be, like, deep in anthropology and, like, world history and, like, mythology and stuff like that. So when they're, like, trying to get an idea of what Horvath is trying to do, she, like, goes and checks out books on, like, Morena and Slovakian sorcerers and all kinds of fun stuff like that. And, like, she figures it out and she's like, okay, so we're, they're probably trying to do something with Chernobog and he's trapped here, it's Mount Triglav. But according to, like, this ancient text, there's the stuff that was, like, one was sent here and one was sent here, da-da-da. Uh, let's go on a globetrotting mission. Cool. Bring the kid. I'm sure nothing bad will happen to the kid. And then the kid will get kidnapped because I'd rather a child be the damsel than a, a human woman who is supposed to have agency. Yeah. So, uh, how spunky is this kid? 
Oh, they're they're real feisty. They they're they're gonna fight everyone. Nice. They they're they're a bit of a jock, which uh, Dave was not expecting because Dave was always a nerd even before he became a social outcast. <laughs> what do I do with an extroverted child who wants to play sports? Oh no, it's my worst nightmare. <laughs> this child will definitely kick Horvath in the shins. Yes. Morena, too, for good measure. Yes. Did you just kick a god in the shins? Well, she had it coming! <laughs> I mean, fair. Uh, you're not wrong, but we'll discuss if you should be grounded later. Yeah. <laughs> I th- and I think, I mean, that's all I can think of. And let Lindsay, do you have anything else you want to throw into this? It seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. All right. In that case, I shall focus within myself and unleash a friendship promo. Hi, I'm Theo, and this is LGB Time Machine, an LGBTQ plus history podcast. In each episode, I'll research and then discuss a topic or time period or person that's relevant to LGBTQ plus history, and hopefully this will encourage more people to look into our history. So far, I've done a broad overview of the persecution of LGBTQ plus folks in the U.S., talked about the homophile movement, the Lavender Scare, LGBTQ plus bars, and looked at some of the riots and events leading up to and including Stonewall. Tune in to the Orange Groves Network to learn some cool facts about LGBTQ plus history that you might not have known before. Lindsay, I tried unleashing a friendship promo, and now there's a whole bunch of broomsticks that are trying to clean my entire house. That's not good. I mean, I, it's a little bad, a little good, considering the whole pandemic thing. I mean, they'll clean all the surfaces. Yeah, but you gotta make sure that they don't multiply on you. Oh, that's true. Those are like rabbits. Yeah. How do we adapt Pomp and Circumstance for Sorcerer's Apprentice 3? <laughs> Was Noah a sorcerer? Well, his... One of his ancestors, because I'm not going to go into the begats, was Enoch, and he managed to talk to angels, so... I don't know. Talks to angels without bursting into flame. That's a pretty good thing to stick on the resume. Yeah. Uh, But beyond that, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I'm on Twitter at LindsayM476, and uh, you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for not a fire boot you first, and they're pronounced Ta-da! <laughs> Abracadabra. You can also email us at notifyrebootyoufirst at gmail.com, or you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or your favorite Nicolas Cage acting role. You could even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea because we like being surprised. And you can also rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and if you can find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me and I'll try and get us in there. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex, a.k.a. Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you like music of his own for your own. Last but not least, uh, Not If I Reboot You First is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can find out more about the other awesome shows we share the network with at cornerpodnet on Twitter. Ah, right. So, Lindsay... Next week is my week again because of the People's Choice Shuffle that we did. Yes. So you already know what the answer is. Yep. But I'll give you a preview of next week anyways, because next week, we got cows! (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was hoping for some Shania Twain, but okay. Shania Twain? Yeah, she did a song for this. I didn't realize that. I only knew the Van Halen yeah, songs. Yeah, look it up. Okay, well, I will look it up. I, I don't doubt you. I just didn't realize. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll uh, deal, do with that. We'll, we'll do all that. We'll bunker down for that. <laughs> it, it's all happening next week, but not if we reboot you first. Bye. So Night on Bald Mountain was a series of compositions um, where... One moment. Whoa. In the no, go away, Siri. Shut up. No, I don't want... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Racist ass bitch Siri took me off the schedule. <laughs>